0: Hi, everyone. This is Shone. In this episode of Beta Mode, I interview Simi Aluko, founder of Illinois Media, a digital publishing platform focused on African writers. We discuss her journey balancing her roles as a writer, entrepreneur, and a civil engineering PhD student. She emphasizes the importance of African literature in authentically representing cultural narratives and its impact on societal change. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hi everyone, and welcome to today's episode. Today we're joined by Simi Aluko, founder and creative director of Elino Media, as we discuss how African literature plays a vital role in empowering communities and driving social transformation. Hi, Simi. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Hi, Shun. Thank you for having me.
0: Good to have you here, Simi. First of all, we want to get to know you. Can you tell us a bit about yourself and your background?
1: Yes, sure. So. I'll start by just talking about writing. I started writing when I was a child. I must have been probably five or six, you know, when they start teaching you how to write just a couple of words. But I was really interested in storytelling. And from for as long as I can remember, I, was, I would sit down on Saturdays and I would write four short stories every weekend. And I eventually continued writing kind of vocationally as a teenager and then in uni I did a theater studies minor and I did a lot of work with playwriting and so that's kind of my technical background with being a writer I took a bunch of writing classes and I actually started as you know, when I was probably I been 15 or 16 I was really interested in how art could change the way people think especially having taken literature I think in eighth grade year eight We had to read a bunch of African fiction as well as the British classics. And that's really what made me feel like writing does change society. And that's basically how I got into this space.
0: Okay, cool. I guess in tandem with that, you're also a PhD student, right? Can you tell us a bit about that as well? Because that feels like another part of your life. There's a creative side to you, but there's also a technical side. So can you tell us about how... You're able to balance these two passions.
1: It's a really good question. I, I love businesses. I love starting businesses. I love working for businesses, evaluating businesses. and I do a lot of work with construction tech, construction innovation. I guess all those things come together because it's not really much of a balancing act except for basic time management which anyone can learn about on YouTube. The real thing that the real thread that pulls those interests together is I truly believe that everyone should have innovation that looks and feels like them so with writing for me that's african fiction that looks and feels like a certain demographic of people because there's linguistic innovation innovation how we tell stories and then on the engineering side in civil engineering my work in that space is really to try and make sure that people feel dignified by the homes they live in but also tell stories through the homes because buildings tell stories of Economic situations, political situations, cultural preferences, as well as what people need in homes. So it all comes together under the thread of people deserve to have innovation that looks and feels like them. And entrepreneurship is just, I think, a way to take a crazy new idea and make the world start to look like that, I think. There can be many other things also. You can make money, so on and so forth. Depends on what you want. But... In addition to just having a mind for, you know, where there's money, I also have a mind for entrepreneurship as a space to put your lofty ideas into the world, to actually change the way people operate
0: today. Well, that's, that's very well said. It feels like you've, you sort of merged the artistic and entrepreneurial side to create this business called Illinois Media. But why did you want to pursue a PhD in the first place? You have this passion for civil engineering. And you also have this passion for story writing and it's sort of coming from the same place buildings tell a story of course through literature you can also tell a story so was there any connection to you wanting to explore phd and doing deep research and the side of you that's very passionate about just creating things and bringing literature to life
1: when i first applied to stanford i started off just trying to do my masters And if I pull the story back even further, I started my master's application and halfway through wanted to switch and do a PhD application. I quickly realized I didn't have enough things to say about why I wanted to do a PhD. Then I started my work and I realized that the same way thoughts about how writing dignifies people had been ruminating in my mind since I was 16 years old, I always came back to the idea that there really is something we haven't figured out about how to make buildings and building processes dignify focus on the African continent today. During my master's, I kept noticing so much construction innovation happening all across the world, or pointedly almost except the continent. And something just felt like, you know, there's so many enterprising, brilliant people on the continent. Some people try things and fail. I just had a feeling that there must be there's something we don't yet know how to do that's hindering our ability to translate this understanding of community-centered innovation into the building sector on the continent it's not a very kind of big supernatural story it's just a story of genuine curiosity and interest in seeing the world we live in on the continent looking like us because I always I learned well let me say I learned it felt like the world signaled to me as a young child that I wasn't important enough to be studied or documented accurately or designed for. And that's just the nuance of my personality. I feel like sometimes if, I, I, I noticed, you know, if you, as a child, if you notice all the books winning literature awards are written by white authors, or if you notice... All the technology in my house has the wrong like plug adapter. They were clearly not made for people in this context. If you notice this, things like that, or like even just thinking about like standing fans in your home, Nagos is hot. And I remember the first one day my dad came back with rechargeable standing fans. To me, that blew my mind because electricity in, Lag- in some neighborhoods in Lagos is very unstable, let me not say so most, right? And so I thought to myself, this is the first time that someone's designed like a household item that seems like functional and meaningful within the context that I live in. And I noticed my friends, for example, I would go to their homes, they would have these tiny windows. Lagos, to give you context, they at- Lagos is typically, I would say, between high 70s and low 90s in Fahrenheit, year round. So if you have tiny windows and you can't open the windows, you're going to be super hot in that concrete house. You're going to feel like a rotisserie chicken basically baking in your home. And I would notice things like this and I would be like, this is the same problem I've noticed with buildings. It's the same like when I just said the adapters on electrical appliances don't fit into the walls because they were not made for this context. Like, obviously, this building design was not made for our context because everybody knows you need big windows, you need to engage cross ventilation. And things like that bugged me. And so that's how I knew I was drawn to the built environment and to civil engineering specifically, not just any type of engineering. Because I, I would always it would always bother me, like how could you use this material for this house or or why would you use this when you know your speed was your goal and then you used a material that would take five times the amount of time to build. So all these thoughts came together one day when I was doing my masters and I decided, you know what, might as well just sit down and think about, think about them until I feel like I'm satisfied with the answer.
0: All right, we're back here with Simi Aluko, founder and creative director of Lono Media. So Simi, can you tell us about Illinois Media? What inspired you to start this company and what is it that Illinois actually does? What's the general goal of the organization?
1: Illinois is trying, let me explain the, the high level problem that I've observed in the African literature and media scene at large. And for many African, and think young, and when I say African, there's so many different countries on the continent. But by and large, think about large cities, African contexts where writing is recognized. So I would think like Nigeria has a big like kind of local literature scene, Kenya, and South Africa, and so on. So you think about young college students, maybe late high school students, recent college grads. So the writers in that space are facing multiple obstacles. But one really big one is that they want to make their living. Obviously, they want to pay their bills while writing. And in order to do that, many of them are trying to sell their work to an audience that will pay for it. And a lot of the time, the perception is that audience is not Nigerian or African, they're in the US, UK, Canada, somewhere in the West with higher buying power. That's just, I guess, what the global economic situation has led them to. In order to do that, lots of them try to then change or adapt the way they use words the way they use language the way they tell their stories in order to fit an all western storytelling norm and it bothers me it boggles me because the only way you document who people are is really through literature through art right it's through art that you try and understand who new people are most people in the world their first exposure to new cultures is through some movie or some book they read so to for nigerians and africans at large to now have this amazing opportunity to showcase who they are to the world. I think that's great. But the downside of that is is with exporting our art comes a watering down of it almost mandatorily because we either think that people won't understand or we think it's more... I don't, I don't even know what the, the reason is, honestly. And frankly, I'm not really super pressed enough. All I know is that I've observed it and it drives me up the wall. But I'm not the only one that drives up the wall. Especially because... Many writers will know. People don't have to be super familiar with your cultural context to understand your writing. There are so many ways you can work around that. And so what Elena is trying to do is to create stories of people on the continent today that other people can enjoy and access, but that are true to, to people. And when I say true to people, there's no one true Nigerian story or one true Yoruba culture or experience there's a there's a range of cultural experiences what frustrates me and many other producers in this space is that sometimes people produce art that is not true to anybody it is like a mixed match of like 10 different people's possible cultures and I think that is what annoys everyone it's like you watch a movie and they're like trying to say something African and then then the music they are playing like instruments like they're playing the chorus they play some other random instrument and then the beads are like from kenya and then everything's just like what is going on here not that cultural fusion is bad it's just that sometimes it's exhausting you really don't know what people are trying to portray and they portray that whole thing as they'll say it's gambian and you're like come on guys what are you talking about those were lots of words to say we're really just trying to create stories that are true to that could be true to a fictional someone even if they're not in and of themselves true stories but that they're plausibly true
0: did you also go through this yourself when you were trying to write for something that was clearly maybe Nigerian and not really a hodgepodge of different African cultures but together and you you kind of saw yourself facing that and were you like oh hey this is what I'm doing this isn't real I'm trying to blend into the western scene and do you feel like you yourself you really had to fight against that sort of inclination just because of where you were growing up in America or was it always something that you just naturally resisted
1: Hmm, that's a good question. I actually never had that inclination. like The thought never came to my mind. Like, let me change the way my the dialogue here sits to fit XYZ audience. However, without calling anybody out, honestly, I had one writing teacher as an undergrad who would single out some of the phrasing I would use in, in, in my work. He had a good heart, but he kept saying things like, an American audience wouldn't understand this. Um, Now... One day I decided, I said, I'm not writing for an American audience. Forget about that. And then when he heard that he recalibrated and instead, instead of saying an American audience would understand X, Y, Z phrase, because obviously regional slang can throw anyone off, but he taught me how to write, even using regional slang to the community. I was trying to represent in my work in a way that would still allow an audience to pick up on what was being said. And so. I think at first he thought I was trying to do that whole bring this culture and showcase it to an American audience using typical American phrasing. But after a while he showed me how to use literary tools, I guess what I'll call them, to signal a meaning even when an audience cannot understand the word-for-word meaning of a pidgin English phrase, for example. But contextually you can pick it up. Now what ended up happening is we had those back and forth and went, okay, the show actually was put up at Hopkins. And the audience caught each and every joke. Every single joke. That was the first time I've seen any form of African play, quote-unquote. You know, we can debate what that means. But that was the first time I'd seen an African Because unfortunately, well, fortunately and unfortunately, I had to watch it when it was put up. It was fun, but I was also very scared. Where the whole audience, Black and non-Black, African and non-African, grew up on the continent and did not laugh at the same jokes. Because what I've noticed many other writers do is they try and nest jokes or humor for different groups of people with different levels of access to the culture. And then you notice Nigerians laugh at one joke, Nigerian-Americans laugh at another joke, and then people just, that just don't have any access laugh at a different joke. This is a lot of information to basically say, I had to find someone else to, to to tell them that my point was not to water down the language or the dialogue, but was instead to make sure that some way, somehow everyone could follow, the, to, to essentially use, this is what he told me, To use world building, so it's like Star Wars. Nobody gets that world, but somehow we now get the world. Use world building to make the culture accessible to everyone while people that belong to that culture still feel well represented.
0: You've pointed something out here. I think our culture, our general African culture, at this point is it's, it's can be shared through various means, music being quite popular these days. So my question to you is why is it important for culture to be shared? through literature i'm not saying that music is a better way to share culture but just why is written media potentially a very important avenue for people and seeing africa for what it really is
1: well i think written media as well as like other types of media photography music so on and so forth i think written media is almost always speaks a lot about the condition of a society you can for the most part and you can say this about a lot of different types of media but for the most part if you read the 10 best-selling books in a city you can pretty much learn a lot about what the city is about and i think that the thing about african literature being written media today honestly so many people there's some people that are not really, really big fans of that they prefer oral storytelling which i also think is valid for many other languages preserve literary preserve their stories through writing i think for me the most important part of written media in communicating culture and experience is how it preserves how people think and speak. Because as a writer, you have access to people's minds and you can very easily document how people around you articulate, word, articulate themselves, pull words together, merge their thoughts, sometimes their non-English thoughts into the English language. I think that kind of literary innovation is the easiest way to preserve the fabric of the society.
0: You're saying it's a way to document what's going on in society at a certain point. And I completely understand that. And I'm sure the writers on your platform also feel the same way. So can you talk to us a bit more about them? Who are the writers on the platform? And what is the publishing process like for them? Because you guys are a digital publishing company. So let's say a hypothetical writer. They write a story. How would they go through the process of writing it and publishing it through Illinois?
1: So our writers, for the most part, our writers are are young writers, a lot of the time with their first publisher or publication in general, we usually have submissions open for a short period of time. We're actually just about to change that. So we're going to have rolling submissions. So if you're a writer, you can just kind of send in your work whenever you're good and ready. And from there... It's a pretty standard, typical logistical process, at least. They're accepted with comments or not accepted, sadly. And then we have... The thing is, though, with the know, unlike some of the publishers, we really sit down with every story we publish, which is why we don't publish thousands of stories a year. But we, when I say we really sit down, we take th- three or four, three or four individual people sit down and read very carefully each and every word, And we mull over the words and we say, oh, this word is strange for the place and time or for the financial background of the speaker and so on and so forth. And we will go through sometimes eight, nine drafts with the writers, because we really want to make sure that when we put their work out there, on the one hand, they're very proud of themselves. And on the other Mm -hmm. hand, we want to be a platform that that just pushes them up. So this is your first time. We know you're coming in your third year Mm -hmm. undergrad. We're just trying to put your work out there in a way that when other people look at it they will be interested in you as a writer but then you also having interacted with us have more writing skills to be able to live up to the work we've published so we don't just go in and change things for people and then we also look for people who take feedback because honestly just nobody's really interested in chasing people back and forth and begging and saying oh no I'm not changing this and so on and so forth and then we, we compensate them in USD. but can also be in whatever currency, they, their local currency. But we set our company in USD and then they, they decide how they
0: want to get paid. Great. And you mentioned you compensate these riders. So that's obviously a cost. And are you guys for profit, non-profit? How are you guys designed to make money if you are that type of organization?
1: So we've actually recently made the decision to pivot from being for profit to non-profit because of the very thing I, i we just talked about the fact that many of people who have purchasing power to pay for these stories sometimes would prefer or would be more interested in a slightly watered down story a culturally watered down story and this is not to this is not to shame anyone or say that people in the diaspora you know i'm not trying to start diaspora wars i'm just saying i'm just looking at the way the industry has been working for many of the writers we're working with today And so we're changing to a non-profit model. So we'll be taking gifts and donations. To be honest, if you think about it, when people, when you pay, when you make USD and you're paying college students, your dollar, first of all, can go very far in Nigeria or in many other African contexts, but also goes a little bit further. I think we've all been in uni, right? We've all been broke and needed extra money and so on. So we definitely try to pay them significantly above the market rate that they would normally receive for their work intentionally we set our, 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 our rate above market rate just because market rate is not really livable <laughs> to begin with honestly the number itself depends on the writer how much experience they have usually they don't have that much but sometimes the more experienced ones will pay them higher how much they negotiate i've never told i don't think i explicitly told any of the writers this, but we have a little bit of of wiggle room. So if you negotiate a little bit more, you might get a little bit more money. Heavy on the might, of
0: course. And then just to follow up on that. So you guys generate revenue from your customers or somebody on your website paying for these stories themselves. And so do you maybe, I'm just curious to know what the breakdown is. What's the cost of the story dependent on? Is it dependent on demand or... How do you structure the price of each of the unique stories that you provide on your platform?
1: Mm-hmm. The cost of the story is dependent on, I think, de- demand in a way. But a lot of the stories we like buy the rights to publish at, at, a, at almost the same amount. So it's almost, think of it as almost fixed cost per story. We're taking the risk from the writer in terms of us being the advertiser, because we're the ones that pay for the ads and so on. But we also, we pay the writer's coffee up front, so we don't do royalties. We take on that risk. So if some stories are higher demand and lower demand, and we have to swallow that. We advertise them and then whatever revenue we we get is ours.
0: And I'm wondering, do you, do you basically want people to get on the platform, just, not just for financial reasons, because the more people read, the more you can pay these writers who are working very hard to produce stories, but also because of the larger goal. The broader goal, which is you want African stories to be told and shared. So how are you looking to acquire customers? Customer acquisition is always a big thing, but in this particular publishing context, how would you approach customer acquisition?
1: That's a good question. Experimenting with a bunch of different things. So obviously like online ads, Google's good, Facebook's good, those things are always good. They get people in the funnel. The issue then becomes keeping them in the funnel. One thing that we are thinking about, this is also a business model that some businesses have, have followed, is because our writers are so young and they're in uni, we're doing a lot of email, we're doing a lot of like marketing through those circles. So basically, targeted marketing to students through university channels. So if, if this was in the US, for example, the easiest way I would explain it is there are African students associations. You get five ASAs to buy your thing, You might start some sort of trend and there's uptake from there. So kind of something similar through student societies because art is a social event in any case. And readers often have friends. They recommend books to each other. The easiest way to get word of mouth is to go through these very concentrated communities and allow people to weave through That's the general gist of the model in testing right now. That's the thing about being a young business is that your
0: models might change. So just diving into the writers a bit, you mentioned that they're located in Africa geographically in Nigeria in particular. So where would the readers come from? Do you have the data on uh, where your readers typically are situated?
1: We have a spread. We have a spread. So our writers, just to give you context, I would say 80, Okay, honestly, 90% of our writers are Nigerian and maybe 80% percent of the writers are Nigerian in Nigeria. Um, and the readers are maybe 50% in Nigeria. Another f- must be 35% in the US, small fraction in the UK. And then then there's like one or two in parts of the world, like India and like Netherlands and so on and so forth.
0: And are these Africans in those regions? Are, are you able to pick up on the specific demographic of the readers in these locations? The African or the non-African, do you have that data recorded?
1: Mm, African versus non-African, no. And part of me is glad I don't have that. To avoid the same phenomenon I talked to you about earlier, right? It's like if everyone is non-African, then we might get tempted to start changing the stories a little bit to tailor to them. And then if everyone is African, we might start getting tempted to change the stories in order to appeal to a different audience. But there is one thing, there are a couple of behaviours that unify them all. They all read a lot. So they're not like your casual readers. They read every single day. Lots of them read a novel or so relatively quickly. They spend maybe 10 plus hours a week reading. So those are types of demographics we have. Like what is their reading behaviours? Where do they read? What kinds of stories have they read in the past five or six weeks? Such and such and such.
0: Okay, okay, cool. And, and, and you just mentioned a novel. So I looked on the website and I've seen some of the titles there. They look great. Some of these images attached to the titles look pretty compelling and interesting to dive into. So I know you mentioned that your stories come in maybe different volumes, maybe some are short stories, some are novels. A lot of your stories right now are Nigerian because they're written by Nigerians. Have you made any effort to try and expand to, to maybe or anyone from other African demographics? Have they had the opportunities to also publish works on your platform?
1: Yeah, yes, for sure. It's honestly on our minds. But from a strategic point of view, one has to get good at doing something before they try to do everything. And so we're starting with Nigeria because it's what I know. I can vet a story and be able to say, you know what? I don't, obviously, I don't know every Nigerian culture, but if you set a story in Lagos on the island, I'm someone that can say, mm, this seems like the language, the dialogue seems good and all of that. If you say a story in the middle of Nairobi, I personally just have very limited gauge on whether or not the story is working or whether or not it's true to context. So we're starting from what I know. And as the organization grows, we will expand to what I don't know with the support and expertise of others who are knowledgeable in that space.
0: So this is actually a familiar conversation that I've had people on the podcast. You really dive into what you're good at and you make sure you maximize in that area, which is going to become your niche and your strength. And then you expand to consider other regions as well. And in your case, that expansion could be writers from other African regions who also share your passion. And that will give you an opportunity to review, edit um, their published works, which would be from their own unique African culture. So you mentioned that you have that planned out once you've mastered your space. How soon do you really see yourself doing that? Do you see yourself doing that within five years? What are your general short-term goals for Illinois?
1: It's I wouldn't put expanding intentional, you know, like a, an intentional kind of large-scale expansion out of Nigeria as as a short-term goal. I think our short-term goals right now are to really refine. And when I say refine, we I mean really to really refine mm-hmm. our editing process to really mm-hmm. refine our story selection process to really kind of because literary innovation is not easy right mm-hmm. to, re- to really i guess if i was talking in of terms i would say we're focusing on the product right? you need to focus on your product you need to deliver value to your users and once you've kind of got that going and you've created very sticky users or in our case sticky readers then we'll start trying to expand the i guess the product creation framework to other contexts so short term goals in the next let's say year and a half or two would be those things after which after which i don't see why we would not um become more serious about expanding outside of Nigeria great
0: great that's that's good to know and beyond five years let's say let's say we consider that long term where do you see Illinois media then do you still see yourself as a digital publishing company Where do you envision taking this within that longer time frame?
1: I think five, well, 10 years plus, um, we would, I think, expand broader than just publishing written work. So there's actually a lot of other kind of areas of expertise that that all the members of our team currently leverage to get our stories published. Like we have, you mentioned the visual art accompanying our stories. Mm -hmm. We have, at this point, really good network of of writers both in on the continent and abroad so we might get into some like more like visual art spaces i've been trying my hand at art dealing for example so i definitely see that coming in at some point my i have ex- actually a lot of my writing expertise in theater and playwriting so i'm just floating ideas obviously i haven't discussed this with you know it's not obviously i haven't discussed this but these have not been agreed to by you know, and the people working on the, on the project right now but we all have different things that that will pull into it will it will eventually just be kind of a larger media space it will just be writing
0: okay so clearly the goal is to keep pushing on this and part of your long-term strategy is to include other forms of media as well ron you also mentioned that you want to expand to other genres beyond the ones you're currently focusing on and you also wanted to get more people on the platform explore riders from other regions and that's to complement the efforts you already have in place and i just want to wish you the best of luck regarding that strategy really looking forward to seeing how you progress with this so good luck to you and the illinois team Right, guys, we're back here with Simi Aluko, founder and creative director of Little Media, a digital publishing platform that aims to tell stories in a very realistic and truthful way. And we've talked to Simi about her background, what she's accomplished, we do know so far, and how they're differentiating themselves from other publishing companies. We also explored their plans and the short and long term regarding Little Media. Now, Simi, it's clear that you've done a lot. You're currently a grad student and you've had this passion for literature and you've had this passion of entrepreneurship for quite some time and you're working towards these respective passions through Illinois media. Now what keeps you going? We really want to dive into how you keep pushing forward, where do you go for inspiration, what keeps you on track, not just in terms of Illinois media but your other endeavors as well like grad school and your own personal writing
1: this doesn't sound too cheesy i don't really need to look for
0: inspiration
1: The problem i described that got me into Illino, it follows me everywhere i can never i can't i cannot like just watch a movie or read a book that's described as african in any way and not just feel a sense of oh why do they why does the dialogue sound like this or like no offense to nollywood but there's some modern modern nollywood now is trying to be so american it just like, drives me up the wall and i feel like It sounds, I guess it sounds strange to say I don't look for inspiration, but what inspires me to continue is constantly having to endure the pain of sitting through stories that are supposed to represent me and feeling like I'm gagging and everyone else around me is gagging at the result of how the story came out.
0: Interesting. So you're saying that you're driven by frustration, that this shouldn't be how things are. And that's a fine way to motivate yourself. And you're doing something about that frustration. And I think that's what I find particularly inspiring about your story. Whether it's your work through civil engineering and construction tech or through Illinois Media. I think that's a huge testament to the kind of person you are. And if that's what you're using as inspiration, then by all means, let it drive you. And I also wanted to ask you one more question before we wrap things up here. In what ways do you see your work with Illinois Media contributing to the broader socioeconomic economic development of of Africa now take as much time as you want to answer this question it's not a straightforward question but be free with your answer and let me know what you think
1: that's a big question it's one I've thought about long and hard because ordinarily <laughs> in many contexts people think of art and artistic pursuits as disposable and not lucrative but today that's kind of been turned on its head because the entertainment industry generates so much money. So look at how lucrative filmmaking is now in a place like Nigeria. Look at how lucrative... Well, it depends on how good your music is and who is your manager. But musicians are making a good amount of money these days. And it's the same with African writers being carried by big publishing houses and also by, by some big local publishing houses as well. So I think that when I think about socioeconomic development, writing is seldom the profession that people go into and then become billionaires and then build a community hospital. But with the specific model we have, right? The development that we contribute is is to the lives of the writers that we're working with, to people who, who generally would not really be able to kind of make ends meet with their profession. And so it's a very small, it's a fraction of a fraction of the population that we, that we end up being able to support economically. But I guess we're just trying to contribute to, to a culture that empowers writers not not only to write and be artists and custodians of our culture, but also empowers them to pay their rent and buy healthy food and elect and so on and so
0: forth. I actually love that response because citizens of Western countries like like America, if you if you want to be a writer here, maybe your parents might object to it. Maybe they'll say you won't pay the bills, but your sign of leaving is still pretty decent, relatively speaking, right? You could do a lot better paying the bills here than you would in a country like ours, unfortunately. So there's an opportunity for African writers to explore their passion, get compensated for it in a meaningful way, while still maintaining the authenticity of their stories. I think that's definitely something that we as, as a culture, as a community can benefit from significantly. And I actually learned something from you as well during this conversation. That's very important. It's really important for you to preserve your culture through writing, through buildings, as you referenced through your work as a civil engineer, and preservation is, is important. Not just important, but it's key. And if we're not empowering the writers in our community to even earn a living from the pivotal work that they're doing, then we're not really empowering the people who are most likely to carry stories down the line to do a meaningful job doing it. So I definitely resonate with that. And I appreciate getting that perspective from you throughout this conversation.
1: I used to say this a lot. I don't know why I stopped actually, but I think that people often think of cultural preservation as a, as kind of a nice to have. Whereas in my work with engineering for sustainable development, as well as writing, preserving culture and cultural understanding usually is the key to making some sort of innovation truly sustainable in a community context. And I feel like sometimes, even as engineers, we overlook that. As writers, sometimes we overlook that as well. But when we dissociate our innovation from the place it's going to live in, that's the easiest way to make it culturally jarring to people, easiest way to make it really expensive, and easiest way to assure that that thing will not continue to be made and produced or valued for a long period of time.
0: I'm sure our audience really appreciate you saying that. I can tell that you've thought about this a lot. and. It's a very unique perspective. And obviously, because of your work as a civil engineer, your research as a civil engineer in construction tech, and your past, uh, your experience with writing, I think that's really brought out a very interesting point of view on how to see the world and why it's important for us to preserve our culture through buildings, through writing, through other forms of media, and the kind of lasting impact that that would have on us as a culture and community in doing so. That actually wraps it up for us here at the beta mode. Simi, me, it was great having you on the podcast. Great learning about Illino Media and the problems that you're trying to tackle, not just regarding Illino Media, your company, but also regarding your other passions as well. So I wish you Illino Media, your co-founders, your writers, and all those associated with your platform, the very best of luck in the future. Thank you so much for joining us here, Simi, and uh, looking forward to seeing how you progress with your company.
1: Thank you so much. It was great to share my journey with you.